Hi everyone and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology. Today we will be covering the latest immunotherapy updates in kidney cancer and we will hear from leading experts discussing findings from the Keynote 46 trial, a study assessing citrovatinib and nivolumab in patients with clear cell renal cell carcinoma and the phase 2 HCRN GU16-260 trial. To begin, we have Yusuf Zakaria from the University of Iowa talking about the real-world outcomes in the Phase 3 Kinate 46 trial, which assessed first-line axitinib plus pembrolizumab in patients with advanced renal cell carcinoma. This is uh, uh, basically a study uh, in real-world uh, data collection about uh, standard-of-care pembrolizumab and axitinib as a first-line treatment in metastatic uh, kidney cancer. We know from uh, Keynote 426 clinical trial uh, led to the FDA approval of, uh, of pembrolizumab and axitinib as a first-line treatment in clear cell renal cell carcinoma with an impressive uh, overall response rate close to 60 percent in that setting. So uh, uh, we decided to run uh, this real-world data because there are a lot of questions uh, that clinical trial cannot uh, address and it is important uh, to know what is happening in the community uh, whether at academic centers or in uh, community centers what is happening in in real world or real life because a lot of those patients uh, really uh, would not have been eligible for a clinical trial to start with, uh, to start with. but uh, uh, learning about those uh, dynamics will help us better understand this combination and how it works and will address a lot of questions that a clinical trial will not necessarily address. So this was uh, electronic medical record review through the uh, flat iron uh, uh, medical records. Uh, we enrolled a tot- or total of 355 patients uh, were included in, in this study. Uh, all, we left it open for all uh, kidney cancer uh, patients uh, in, in an advanced setting, in a first line setting. Uh, so we did include clear cell RCC as, as well as non-clear cell RCC with the understanding that pembroxetinib is not uh, approved in a first-line setting for non-clear cell RCC. Majority of our patients uh, were clear cell, about 77% uh, of, of them. And uh, we looked at multiple uh, variables, including the overall response rate, real-world PFS, real-world OS, along with uh, treatment uh, patterns and strategies uh, to handle side effects. So our overall response in the whole population uh, was about um, 47%. And uh, the percentage uh, of or the proportion of patients who had uh, uh, longer than uh, or, or I would say the, the 12 months uh, PFS uh, was about uh, 40% and uh, about 75% of our patients uh, were alive uh, or had an overall survival at 12 months and, and beyond. The length of the follow-up of this uh, data is only about, uh, uh, on, on average, about uh, 10 months. Uh, so that we need uh, certainly longer uh, follow-up uh, in order to be uh, able to understand what's the uh, long-term longevity in, in this patient population. 
uh, at the time of uh, or at the data cut off uh, about uh, uh, close to 10 months uh, basically uh, majority of the patients were still getting uh, Pembro and Exitinib about 73% of them were still on Pembro Exitinib and uh, the rest uh, did change treatment to subsequent lines of treatment and we encountered that toxicity or treatment related side effects was the main reason to switch treatment to something else. Uh, majority of those 23% uh, were uh, treated uh, in a second line setting with cabozatinib and fewer of them were treated with other uh, TKIs. For the treatment uh, pattern, uh, patients who uh, managed uh, by uh, for for side effects management by holding the drug or uh, key, uh, uh, changing the dose, about 50% of them were able to resume their treatment uh, subsequently, whether at the same dose or of this combination or at a reduced dose of exitinib. So the main uh, message uh, out of this uh, 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 real-world data, other than uh, reinforcing the fact that patients in real world are benefiting uh, from this combination uh, to a similar degree or close to the clinical trial setting, the treatment pattern uh, and, and uh, whether changing the dose or giving a periodic hold of this medication when patients are encountering side effects uh, is certainly uh, a message uh, to to uh, to follow or, or to be evaluated, uh, if you will, uh, uh, in order to to for these patients to to hopefully have better outcome. Next up, we have Pavlos Masuel from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, who discusses the results of the phase 1-2 trial of citravatinib and nivolumab in patients with clear cell renal cell carcinoma. So citravatinib is um, a multi-receptor targeting TKI, and we have a fair number of these approved already by the FDA in uh, the setting of metastatic kidney cancer. Um, the one unique aspect of citravatinib is how potently it targets a panel of receptors called the TAM receptors, so um, Tyra 3, Axel, and MER-TK. And those receptors, based on preclinical evidence um, can modify, modulate the immune microenvironment in a way that can synergize with immunotherapy. So a big component of this trial was to determine through patient correlatives, blood samples and tumor samples, what are we doing when we first give this drug alone? So what we did is we first gave this drug alone for a couple of weeks and we saw how it impacted the immune microenvironment, both in the blood and the tumors. And then what happens when we add the anti-PD-1 immunotherapy nivolumab? Is the, is the microenvironment impacted further in a way that can be beneficial? And if not, why? And so we connected these results with our efficacy and toxicity outcomes. And this is what um, we published in that manuscript in Science Translational Medicine. Another big component of that manuscript was to determine, first of all, whether citravatinib can 
be safely added to nivolumab. And we found that it can. But the, an interesting and unique aspect of that trial is how we determine that. So usually we determine the dose of a drug just by looking at its toxicity. But connecting to what I mentioned before about patient values and goals, instead of just looking at toxicity, we integrated the trade-off between toxicity, side effects, and benefit outcomes. Like how much does the tumor shrink, for example, or how much longer do you stay on this drug with PFS? And as an additional third dimension uniquely, to make our final dose recommendation, we actually incorporated patient quality of life. And so using these three dimensions, we finally came up with a dose that we believed had the optimal balance between toxicity, efficacy, and patient quality of life. Finally, we have Michael Atkins from the Georgetown Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in Washington, D.C. He'll provide an overview of the Phase 2 HCRN GU16-260 trial of first-line therapy with nivolumab and salvage nivolumab ipilimumab in patients with advanced renal cell carcinoma. I'm going to be talking about the HCRN GU16-260 trial, which is a trial for patients with treatment-naive kidney cancer who got Nevo monotherapy as their initial therapy and if they had progressive disease or stable disease at 48 weeks, they were eligible to potentially receive uh, Nevo Ipi salvage. And I first presented the clinical data at regular ASCO in 2020, and now I'm presenting the updated clinical data as well as the PDL1 biomarker data. And so the interesting results, we enrolled 123 patients, and the overall response rate for the group to Nevo monotherapy was a little over 34%. Um, in the favorable risk group, the response rate was 57% with 20 out of 35 favorable risk patients responding. 17 out of those 20 responders remaining progression-free to this date. And only one of the 35 patients who were treated having early disease progression at the first scan. So that was a pretty impressive finding that suggests that favorable risk patients are probably more responsive to immunotherapy than we have uh, thought based on second-line studies, limited first-line studies, and comparisons to targeted therapy rather than just looking at the immunotherapy itself. In contrast, patients with intermediate and favorable risk had response rates in the 25 to 30% range, which was probably less than what you would see with Nevo-Ipi, suggesting that for patients who probably can tolerate Ipi, they should probably be getting Nevo-Ipi as their first therapy rather than just getting single agent, especially because we weren't able to salvage many of those patients with the boost. The response rate was only 11% to Nevo-Ipi boost and only about 40% uh, of patients who progressed 
uh, Nevo monotherapy, we're actually able to receive Nevo Ipi salvage because of issues related to toxicity on Nevo monotherapy or um, symptomatic progressive disease that made it probably impractical or not in the patient's best interest to give them um, uh, uh, more immunotherapy or because the study design where we wanted to have a, a biopsy to confirm metastatic disease and also do biomarker studies and many patients couldn't actually have that biopsy done. The other important um, point of the study was that PDL1 was actually a very useful biomarker um, from the standpoint of predicting PFS and response that the response rates were more than twice as high in patients who had high PDL1 than those who didn't. And the one-year PFS was significantly better for the patients with PDL1 high than those with PDL1 zero. And so um, PDL1 is a biomarker that associates with benefit. Unfortunately, it's not that clinically useful because Still, 60% of the responders were in the PDL1 negative group because the PDL1 positive group only represented about 20% of the total population. But it was, seems like it could be an important component of a biomarker study. And um, I think that it probably means that we can actually look at what's associated with PDL1 in tumors and try to develop a biomarker that builds on this. And then I think it also highlights some of the flaws in all the previous biomarker studies where patients' um, samples were used that were from the primary when you were treating metastatic disease. They were more than 12 months old. Um, and there was an intervening treatment. They were looking at endpoints which were not typical endpoints for immune therapy, such as median PFS as opposed to landmark PFS or landmark overall survival. They were using combinations that didn't isolate out the activity of the PD-1 pathway blocking component. And they were comparing with a non-immunotherapy control arm instead of within the immunotherapy for benefit. And the HCRN GU16260 trial got around all of those particular flaws, and that's probably why we're seeing the association that we saw. Thank you to our speakers and to you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Podbean and Spotify, so we can continue to deliver our expert-led content directly to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology to join in the conversation and visit vjoncology.com for the latest updates in the field.